0: CHAPTER I OF COLLECTED PAPERS ON ANALYTICAL PSYCHOLOGY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botes. COLLECTED PAPERS ON ANALYTICAL PSYCHOLOGY BY CARL GUSTAV Jung. Translated by Constance Ellen Long, 1867-1923 to 1923. Relation to the hysterical attack So far, one point in SW's history has remained unexplained, and that is her attack. In the second seance, she was suddenly seized with a sort of fainting fit, from which she awoke with a recollection of various hallucinations. According to her own statement, she had not lost consciousness for a moment. Judging from the external symptoms and the course of the attack, one is inclined to regard it as a narcolepsy, or rather a lethargy. Such, for example, as Lovenfeld has described. And the more readily, as we know, that previously one member of her family, her grandmother, has had an attack of lethargy. It is possible to imagine that the lethargic disposition Lovenfeld had descended to our subject. In spiritualistic seances, it is not usual to see hysterical convulsions. Our subject showed no sort of convulsive symptoms, but in their place, perhaps, the peculiar sleeping states. Etiologically, at the outset, two moments must be taken into consideration. One, the eruption of hypnosis. Two, the psychic stimulation. One, eruption of partial hypnosis. Janet observes that the subconscious automatisms have a hypnotic influence and can bring about complete somnambulism, he made the following experiment. While the patient, who was in the completely waking state, was engaged in conversation by a second observer, Janet stationed himself behind her and by means of whispered suggestions made her unconsciously move her hand and by written signs give an answer to questions. Suddenly, the patient broke off the conversation, turned round, and, with her supraliminal consciousness, continued the previously subconscious talk with Janet. She had fallen into hypnotic somnambulism. There is here a state of affairs similar to our patients, but it must be noted that, for certain reasons discussed later, the sleeping state is not to be regarded as hypnotic. We, therefore, come to the question of 2. The psychic stimulation It is told of Bettina Brentano that the first time she met Goethe, she suddenly fell asleep on his knee. This ecstatic sleep, in the midst of extremist torture, the so-called witch sleep, is well known in the history of trials for witchcraft with susceptible subjects relatively insignificant stimuli suffice to bring about the somnambolic state thus a sensitive lady had to have a splinter cut out of her finger without any kind of bodily change she suddenly saw herself sitting by the side of a brook in a beautiful meadow plucking flowers this condition lasted as long as a slight operation and then disappeared spontaneously. Loewenfeld has noticed unintentional inducement of hysterical lethargy through hypnosis. Our case has certain resemblances to hysterical lethargy, as described by Loewenfeld, vis-à-vis the shallow breathing, the diminution of pulse, the corpse-like paler of the face, and further, the peculiar feeling of dying, and the thoughts of death. The retention of one sense is not inconsistent with lethargy. Thus, in certain cases of trance, the sense of hearing remains. In Bonamezon's case, not only was the sense of touch retained, but the senses of hearing and smell were quickened. The hallucinatory content and loud speaking is also met with in persons with hallucinations in lethargy. Usually, there prevails total amnesia for the lethargic interval. Leuvenfeld's case D had, however, a fleeting recollection. In Bonamaison's case, there was no amnesia. Lethargic patients do not prove susceptible. To the usual waking stimuli. But Lovenfeld succeeded with his patient ST in turning the lethargy into hypnosis by means of mesmeric passes, thus combining it with the rest of consciousness during the attack. Our patient showed herself absolutely insusceptible in the beginning of the lethargy, but later on she began to speak spontaneously was incapable of giving any attention when her somnambulic ego was speaking, but could attend when it was one of her automatic personalities. In the last case, it is probable that the hypnotic effect of the automatisms succeeded in achieving a partial transformation of the lethargy into hypnosis. When we consider that, according to Lovenfeld's view, the lethargic disposition must not be too readily identified with the peculiar condition of the nervous apparatus in hysteria, then the idea of the family heredity of this disposition in our case becomes not a little probable. The disease is much complicated by these attacks. So far we have seen that the patient's consciousness of her ego is identical in all the states. We have discussed two secondary complexes of consciousness and have followed them in the somnambulic attack, where they appear as the patient's vision when she had lost her motor activity during the attack. During the next attacks she was impervious to any external incidents but on the other hand developed, within the twilight state, all the more intense activity in the form of visions. It seems that many secondary series of ideas must have split off quite early from the primary unconscious personality, for already, after the first two seances, spirits appeared by the dozen. The names were inexhaustible in variety. But the differences between the personalities were soon exhausted, and it became apparent that they could all be subsumed under two types, the serio-religious type and the gay-hilarious. So far, it was really only a matter of two different unconscious personalities, which appeared under different names, but had no essential differences. The older type, the grandfather, who had initiated the automatisms, also first begun to make use of the twilight state. I am not able to remember any suggestion which might have given rise to the automatic speaking. According to the preceding view, the attack in such circumstances might be regarded as a partial auto The ego consciousness which remains, and as a result of its isolation, from the external world, occupies itself entirely with its hallucinations, is what is left over of the waking consciousness. Thus, the automatism has a wide field for its activity. The independence of the individual central spheres, which we have proved at the beginning to be present in the patient, makes the automatic act of speaking appear intelligible, just as the dreamer on occasion speaks in his sleep, so too a man in his waking hours may accompany intensive thought with an unconscious whisper. The peculiar movements of the speech musculature are to be noted. They have also been observed in other somnambulists. These clumsy attempts must be directly paralleled with the unintelligent and clumsy movements of the table or glass, and most probably correspond to the preliminary activity of the motor portion of the presentation. That is to say, a stimulus limited to the motor center, which has not previously been subordinated to any higher system. Whether the like occurs in persons who talk in their dreams, I do not know but it has been observed in hypnotized persons. Since the convenient medium of speech was used as the means of communication, the study of the subconscious personalities was considerably lightened. Their intellectual compass is a relatively mediocre one. Their knowledge is greater than that of the waking patient including also a few occasional details, such as the birthdays of dead strangers and the like. The source of these is more or less obscure, since the patient does not know whence, in the ordinary way, she could have procured the knowledge of these facts. These are cases of so-called cryptomnesia, which are too unimportant to deserve more extended notice. The intelligence of the two subconscious persons is very slight. They produce banalities almost exclusively, but their relation to the conscious ego of the patient, when in the somnambulic state, is interesting. They are invariably aware of everything that takes place during ecstasy, and occasionally they render an exact report from minute to minute. The subconscious persons only know the patient's fantastic changes of thought very superficially. They do not understand these and cannot answer a single question concerning the situation. Their stereotyped reference to Evenes is Ask Evenes. This observation reveals a dualism in the character of the subconscious personalities difficult to explain. For the grandfather, who gives information by automatic speech, also appears to Ivenus and, according to her account, teaches her about the objects in question. How is it that when the grandfather speaks through the patient's mouth, he knows nothing of the very things which he himself teaches her in the ecstasies, we must again return to the discussion of the first appearance of the hallucinations. We picture the vision, then, as an eruption of hypnosis into the visual sphere. That eruption does not lead to a normal hypnosis, but to a hysterohypnosis. That is, the simple hypnosis is complicated by a hysterical attack. It is not a rare occurrence in the domain of hypnotism for normal hypnosis to be disturbed, or rather to be replaced by the unexpected appearance of hysterical somnambulism. The hypnotist in many cases then loses rapport with the patient. In our case, the automatism arising in the motor area plays the part of hypnotist. The suggestions proceeding from it called objective autosuggestions, hypnotize the neighboring areas in which a certain susceptibility has arisen. At the moment when the hypnotism flows over into the visual sphere, the hysterical attack occurs, which, as remarked, effects a very deep-reaching change in a large portion of the psychical region we must now suppose that the automatism stands in the same relationship to the attack as the hypnotist to pathological hypnosis its influence upon the further structure of the situation is lost the hallucinatory appearance of the hypnotized personality or rather of the suggested idea may be regarded as the last effect upon the somnambolic personality Thenceforward, the hypnotist becomes only a figure with whom the somnambulic personality occupies itself independently. He can only state what is going on, and is no longer the conditio sine qua non of the content of the somnambulic attack. The independent ego complex of the attack, in our case Ivenus, has now the upper hand, she groups her own mental products around the personality of the hypnotizer, that is, of the grandfather, now degraded to a mere image. In this way, we are enabled to understand the dualism in the character of the grandfather. The grandfather one, who speaks directly to those present, is a totally different person and a mere spectator of his double Grandfather two, who appears as Ivena's teacher, Grandfather I maintains energetically that both are one and the same person, and that one has all the knowledge which two possesses, and is only prevented from giving information by the difficulties of speech. The dissociation was of course not realized by the patient, who took both to be one person, Grandfather I, if closely examined, however, is not altogether wrong, judging from one fact which seems to make for the identity of one and two, viz that they are never both present together when one speaks automatically, two is not present. as remarks on his absence, similarly during the ecstasy when she is with two. She cannot say where one is, or she may learn only on returning from an imaginary journey that meanwhile one has been guarding her body. Conversely, one never says that he is going on a journey with Venice, and never explains anything to her. This behavior should be noted, for if one is really separate from two, there seems no reason why he should not speak automatically but at the same time that two appears and be present with two in the ecstasy although this might have been supposed possible as a matter of fact it was never observed how is this dilemma to be resolved at all events there exists an identity of one and two but it does not lie in the region of the personality under discussion it lies in the basis common to both that is in the personality of the subject which in deepest essence is one and indivisible here we come across the characteristic of all hysterical dissociations of consciousness they are disturbances which only belong to the superficial and none reaches so deep as to attack the strong-knit foundation of the ego-complex. In many such cases we can find a bridge which, although often well concealed, spans the apparently impassable abyss. For instance, by suggestion, one of the four cards is made invisible to a hypnotized person. He thereupon names the other three. A pencil is placed in his hand, with the instruction to write down all the cards lying there. He correctly adds the fourth one. In the aura of his hysteroepileptic attacks, a patient of Janetz invariably had a vision of a conflagration, and whenever he saw an open fire he had an attack. The patient's visual field on the left side was limited to 30 degrees. The right eye was shut. The left eye was fixed in the middle of a perimeter, whilst a lighted match was held at 80 degrees. The hysteroepileptic attack took place immediately. Despite the extensive amnesia in many cases of double consciousness, the patient's behavior does not correspond to the degree of their ignorance, but it seems rather as if a deeper instinct guided their actions in accordance with their former knowledge. Not only this relatively slight amnesic dissociation, but the severe amnesia of the epileptic twilight state, formerly regarded as irreparabile damnum, does not suffice to cut the inmost threads which bind the ego complex in the twilight state to the normal ego in one case the content of the twilight state could not be grafted on the waking ego complex making use of these experiments for our case we obtain the helpful hypothesis that those layers of the unconscious beyond reach of the dissociation, endeavor to present the unity of automatic personality. This endeavor is shattered in the deeper-seated and more elemental disturbance of the hysterical attack, which prevents a more complete synthesis by the tacking on of associations, which are, to a certain extent, the most original individual property of supraliminal personality, as the Venice dream emerged, it was fitted on to the figures accidentally in the field of vision, and henceforth remains associated with them. recording by Mike. Bottez.